great to be with you this morning. Welcome to church. We are still the gathered church, even though it is outside. I know it's cold. I know it's uncomfortable. Well done for being here. But I truly trust and pray that this morning will, will be an amazing morning, that we just sit before God and we say, God, speak to us. May your truth, may your word speak to us this morning. And um, yes, I, I spoke to some of the guys this morning. I said, I know it's uncomfortable, but let's, let's trust the Holy Spirit to be present. And it's usually when there's opposition. It's usually when it's the circumstances are difficult that God works the best. So let's, let's pray and trust for an amazing time this morning. Let me just pray for us. Let's just sit and pray. Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for the privilege that we have to, to spend this time together, Lord. Father, I pray that your, your Spirit will speak to us this morning. Your truth will penetrate our hearts this morning, Lord. Father, that even though it's cold, even though we can get so easily distracted with the circumstances around us uh, this morning, Father. Father, that we will feel your presence. That we will feel the fire of the Holy Spirit warming us up. Not necessarily on the outside, but on the inside, Lord. Father, that we will be a church that will rise up and do what you call us to do, Father. That we will be the church you called us to be, Father. Church that is relevant, Lord. And I pray over all our churches in our spirit meeting together, Father, that your body, your, your church will be relevant in this time that we are in. We listen to you, Lord. We are seeking your face. Speak to us. Pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Great. So... Most of you know that Mike and Linda are in self-isolation. Mike has unfortunately tested positive for COVID, but I can tell you good news. He's doing very well. His symptoms, symptoms has gone down. He's joining us again next week, next Sunday. We, uh, you will see him again here. But yeah, he just wants to say thank you for all the prayers that you guys have been praying and standing with them and supporting them. But as a family, they're doing really, really well. Um, so just to give you an update on that. And also, as you know, we've been going through the book of Nehemiah as a church family together. And I'm, con I'm going to continue today in the book of Nehemiah. And I'm specifically going to focus, we're going to pause a little bit on Nehemiah's legacy that he leaves. The character, the leadership that Nehemiah had, that he left a legacy. And I believe all of us are called to leave a legacy. And I believe all of us are called to be leaders. You know, I think, I think we, grew, we grew up in a culture that we think specific people were called to be leaders and others, others were called to be followers. But I want to tell you this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are called to be an example. You are called to be a light in this dark world. You are called to be an ambassador of Christ. So all of us are called to be leaders. And as leaders, do we want to leave a legacy behind like Nehemiah that speaks of the truth, that points to the gospel and the power of the gospel? So we, we're going to focus on the leadership of Nehemiah and the legacy that he left behind. I just want to give a quick recap of what we talked about in the past couple of weeks. Now, like, we, like you know, um, we spoke about Nehemiah. The first chapter, we see him getting the news of Jerusalem being destroyed. And then he responds in a way that he goes on his knees and he prays and he seeks God's face in this. The destruction of his city, of his people's city. And he seeks God's face in this. And after he saw God's face, he takes action. He stands up and he goes to the king who he was working for. And he tells him, I need to go back and rebuild the city. And the king lets him go. And he even sends him off with some help, with resources. 
And then we see uh, Nehemiah mobilizing people. As a leader, he calls people to join him. He mobilizes people to rebuild the walls with him. Even though they had to go through hardships and oppositions, internal and external opposition. But they continued and they completed the work. They built the walls and after the, the walls were built, the people that were exiled returned. And we spoke about the, Jerusalem is a picture of the church. The church as a whole, a metaphor for the church. After the, the, the building of the church, the purpose of the rebuilding has always been so the exiles can return, that the lost can be found, that the hopeless can find hope. And what we are building, the legacy that we believe to leave behind as church, is so that the lost can be found, that the people who are hopeless can find hope. And we also spoke about it was interesting how they built with burnt stones. You heard us tell you about the burnt stones. The, the stones that were lying in, the, lying in the rubble next to the broken down walls, they took those burnt stones and they used those stones to build up the wall again. And that speaks of us. Each one of us are, are stones. We are each a stone that represents the body of Christ. And most of us have gone through hardship. We've been burned. We've been hurt in church. We've been hurt by circumstances. But God is not finished with you. He decides to pick you up and push you into that wall because you've got a purpose. Each of us has a purpose in the bigger picture of what God is doing in and through us as His church. We spoke about diversity. The people that were building were different cultures, different generations. There was a guy that built with his daughters, we read. And then there were people from different professions. People who were goldsmiths that decided, I'm going to go build a wall. People who were perfume makers that decided, I'm going to go build a wall. So they were different professions. And that speaks of us. Being different, and different, unique, different talents. Called for different areas. But together we build what God calls us to build. And we see that even though they had opposition, the opposition that the builders faced, they had a conviction to finish the work. Do we also have that conviction in us to continue and build what God called us to build? And what we build, is it something that really is relevant? Do we want to be a part of something that's just here for temporary pleasure and success? Or are we truly believing God called us to be a church? And again, I'm not just speaking about us as a local church. I'm speaking about the church in general. God's people, are we called to be His people to just be temporal? Or are we going to leave a legacy for those kids who's busy up there to continue and even be more prosperous in the calling that God has called us to um, when, when we are gone and they are busy with it? Are we going to leave a legacy? Now let's look a little bit up at, at Nehemiah's legacy. Oh, I just I forgot to tell you, the, the, the notes of the sermon that was sent to you on the Every Nation Bombella WhatsApp group if you're on it. If you're not on it, if you're new, ask your friend sitting next to you to forward it to you if you want to, if you can't see it here. Um, but the notes are available to you. So let's look at what the legacy that Nehemiah left. We see that after they built, like I said, people returned. You know, the legacy was for the lost to be found, for the people to return, to, to be with God again. Now that's in a spiritual sense. The people were, were coming home. Jerusalem. But we also see 
after they returned home to, to, to Jerusalem, there was a, another leader that joined Nehemiah named Ezra. And they got the people back to her awe and reverence for God again. And that is the legacy that they left behind. We see in chapter 6 of Nehemiah that even the non-Jews who were opposed to them rebuilding the wall, even they said, these people rebuilt the whole wall in 52 days. Just FYI, that's how long it took. 52 days, Jerusalem and his team rebuilt the walls. And because the non-Jews saw that, and they were first opposed to that, they say, they say in chapter 6 that there must have been a bigger entity at work here. It must have been their God that they served. So God received the honor. That's the legacy they left behind. God received the honor. Is God receiving the honor in the legacy that we are leaving behind? You know, it's so interesting for me. We, it's 2,500 years approximately later now in today. We're looking at 2,005 years ago. What happened? Nehemiah and his team rebuilding the wall. And here we are. We've been doing a series on Nehemiah. His faith and his actions, his character is impacting us in this moment, in the season that we are in. This is his legacy. You see where, where I'm going? The leg legacy that he left because of his obedience to God and his relationship, his intimate personal relationship with God and the movement of his heart to act upon what God called him to do. And we are the fruit of that legacy even. In 2007, during excavations in Jerusalem, they found pieces of this wall um, the, the archaeologists found, found pieces of, of, of the wall, the original wall they believe that Nehemiah built. It's just symbolically interesting how, you know, Nehemiah and his team built something that, that st stood through storms and years and seasons. It still stood. And it's, it's interesting to see. That's, that's physical, that's symbolically. But that is a legacy that we want to build. That's a legacy we want to leave behind. A legacy centered on the gospel of Jesus. That will withstand any destruction because it's the power of God. May this church in the next hundred years make disciples better than we make disciples now. Worship God better than we worship God now. Reach out to the lost and dying world out there better than we do it now. May the walls still stand where they go dig very, very deep in what we started here. David Pawson writes in his book, Unlocking the Bible, where, when he describes Nehemiah and his leadership, he says, Nehemiah was, a, was an example of a balanced leader. He was prayerful and practical. He was joyful and sorrowful. He was tough and he was tender. He was sensitive to God and he was sensitive to people. Now all of this speaks of him being a humble yet powerful leader. I want you to see that Nehemiah was a powerful leader. He was strong and courageous, but he was so humble. There was humility at work in his life. It's always been about the people that God called him to. I want to ask the question, will your legacy be a memorial to you? Or will it be an opportunity for others? Will the legacy we leave behind just be a memorial of well done? Or will it be an opportunity for others to continue to build what God called us to build? We see that Nehemiah led with a battle attitude. 
I'm going to go through three quick points here where we see the way that he left his legacy was he had a battle attitude. He led his people with a battle attitude. And the first point I want us to pause on is in, in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 16 to 18. I'm going to read it for us now. But it speaks about they had one hand on the weapon while the other hand was building. One hand was on the weapon, the other hand was building. Let's read from 16 to 18. It says, From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his work, uh, sword strapped at his side while he built. So Nehemiah ensured that they had one hand on the weapon. The people that were carrying those stones so that those stones can be placed into the wall. They were with one hand carrying the stone. The other hand was on the weapon. Ready. They were alert. They were prepared because there was opposition. Just before that we read the opposition. The people that's trying to distract them and stop them from doing what God called them to do. One hand on the weapon, one hand holding the wall. One hand on the word of God, on the gospel, on the truth. The other hand on the work that he called us to do. The oppositions and the attacks were all around them. It's all around us. But are we prepared? Are we alert? Do we have our one hand on the weapon? Is your hand, one hand on the truth, on the word, on the gospel of Jesus? They weren't only alert, alert but they were trained. We read so many weapons there. There's bows, there were, uh, there were spears, there were swords. And I believe each one that carried a different weapon knew his weapon very well, very close and intimately. You know, he like, kept it around their waist. They, know how, they knew how to take this weapon and use it. They were trained with that weapon. Do you know how to use the Word of God? Do you know how, how powerful the Gospel is that you've been entrusted with? Which we believe to, which is the legacy that we want to leave behind for our children and their children and their children. Do you believe the Gospel is the power of God that can overcome every plan of the enemy? Do you believe in the power of the Gospel? You have a personal conviction for it. Do you know this weapon that you have? Now in my own life, if I ask myself, do I believe in the power of the gospel? And I think of my own life, and I think it's because nine, since nine years ago, this week actually, nine years ago, I decided to put my hand on this weapon. I decided to, to, to follow Jesus wholeheartedly in a personal, intimate relationship. And yes, I've gone through difficult circumstances. Me and my wife, some of you who know us very well, you'll know what we've been through in our lives already. But I believe it's because I was able to keep my, my hand on this weapon, on the power of the gospel, on Jesus as my, my foundation, as our foundation, that yes, I've fallen. Yes, it's been sore. It's been, it's been hurtful. But I've still experienced His goodness, and I can still say He's an amazing God. And the power of the gospel was at work in my life, even though we went through difficult times. And I asked myself the question, where would have, have I been if it wasn't for God in my life? If I, hadn't, if I haven't had a relationship with Him? And I want to be honest with you, brutally honest. I think I would have been divorced by now. I think I would have been an alcoholic, maybe. Maybe I would have been very rich. 
sitting in every in a house, a massive house with everything that I ever wanted, but I would have been so alone, purposeless. And I can ask you the same question because I know many of you very well. Living out the gospel, I see it in your lives. I see it in the way you speak to people. And you can ask the question, but where would I have been if it wasn't for God in my life? You've had your hand on that weapon since you decided to follow Jesus. This past week, there was a young woman on her way to a pharmacy to buy a pregnancy test because her and her husband were trusting God for, for um, a baby for three years now. And she passed us there standing on him of my bosom at the press of just as I was there at that moment. And she decided to, on her way, she decided to pull off and she saw our sign. She climbed out, the tears were rolling down her face and she said, me and my husband were trying for, oh, I've been trying for three years now to have a baby and I'm on my way, I, I think I'm pregnant. I'm going to go buy a pregnancy test now, but I'm, I'm scared. I don't want another disappointment. And in that moment, my heart broke for this lady. Hey, Justice. It was a very emotional moment. And we just started praying with her. And we got word for her. And we... We had an amazing time that we just ministered to her. And friends, I don't know what the result is going to be. And we believe, I said to her as well, God wants them to become parents, but in His time and in His way. So we don't know. We actually said maybe in the next couple of weeks she's going to pass by again and give us a testimony that she's pregnant. We, we, we hope, we have faith for that. We don't know what the physical things that happened, but that lady, we saw how her face, how her heart, filled with anxiousness, filled with hopelessness, filled with fear, turned in front of her eyes to a heart that's filled with hope, a heart filled with peace, a heart filled with faith. And that is the power of the gospel at work. That is how it looks when you see the power of the gospel. And we just had the privilege to experience it in front of our eyes. And there's more testimonies of people that stopped there and we just saw them turn around. This big, one big guy that stopped there, Kumpumeti. And I don't, he looks like this massive guy. He can walk, run over anyone. And we prayed with him and this massive man had tears coming down his eyes. The power of the gospel at work. I'm starting to shake again, you see. So there's a moment that I get so passionate that I start shaking. This is a new thing for me, being shaking while I'm preaching. I don't know why. But man, I'm in awe of the gospel. I'm in awe of what God does in our lives and through our lives. Where would you have been if it wasn't for God in your life? We read that Nehemiah and his people had to endure a lot of opposition. They were intimidated, they were misinformed, they were man manipulated by the enemies. In chapter 6, verse 2 to 3, we read that Sabalat and Gisham, it was two of the, the opposition, uh, the people that were trying to oppose him, they tried to distract Nehemiah. They told Nehemiah, come and join us. We just we have, want to have a meeting with you. And you want, listen to Nehemiah's response. He said, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? 
Nehemiah was able to discern not to go with them because they were trying to distract him from the good work that God called him to do. He was able to discern because he knew his purpose. He knew his calling. He knew his God. We need to be alert. We need to be prepared. We need to have our hand, one hand on the weapon, one hand on the truth, on the gospel, on our relationship with God, so that the other hand can do what God called us to do. So that we will not be manipulated by the enemy or by circumstances distracting us from doing what God called us to do. This man had his one hand on his weapon, the truth, the gospel, the almighty God. Therefore he was able to direct his other hand for the purpose he was called to. The second point that I want to pause on is Nehemiah had authority in humility. It sounds like two contrasting characteristics, but he had authority. He was a strong, powerful leader. But he knew that God deserved all the glory in his life. And he knew that it was not about him. It was about the people. It was never about himself. He understood that people mattered because God thought that people mattered. God said that people mattered. Also in chapter 6 we read that Nehemiah fights for the poor and stops the oppression. He went and he faced the nobles and the officials and he told them, you should stop oppressing these people. Because they, they, were, they were oppressing um, the, them with, with the taxes that they had to pay. And he, but when he spoke to them, he said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the thorns of the nations of our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day everything that belongs to them. So in his authority, he went to speak to the officials. He went to speak to them and say, you stop oppressing these people. And he points to the fear of God. Don't you have a fear for the Lord? How can you oppress these people? We also read furthermore in chapter 6 that Nehemiah had great generosity as he fed and cared for the people. We read there from his own expenses, he decided to feed these people and care for the people that were working with him. He even had a governor's allowance that he, that he decided not to touch. He was entitled to allowance and he was entitled to ground, but he said, I'm not, I'm not going to touch those things now. I've got a focus. I've got a purpose. And again there he referred to the fear of God and to the people that needs to, the, you know, the, the city that needs to be rebuilt so the people can return. So the honor of God and the focus on God's purpose was what drove him. One hand on the weapon and the other on the wall. You know, the generosity, the humility and the ownership to the leadership that God called him to was for the sake of of the people. In John chapter 13 verse 34 we read, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. How will people know that we are God's disciples? The love that we have for one another, the care that we have for one another. And how does this love of God show shows itself? By being present 
in the moment where somebody shares their deepest hurt with you. By helping lifting each other's burdens. By helping taking care of one another. That's what we saw with Nehemiah. He left what he was busy with to just go and stand up for the poor, the people that could not pay for themselves. And then he took them back and he returned with them to continue the purpose God called them to. Be present to take other person's pain. Friends, may we be a church that has empathy before judgment. We can make it practical. We can think, I'm going to put my finger on a very sensitive topic. Black Lives Matter. People start cheering Black Lives Matter and everyone that is not a black person immediately says, no, all lives matter. How dare they say Black Lives Matter? All lives matter. And they're like, no. Why don't we just keep our opinions to ourselves for a second and listen to the pain behind why this started? Can't we just as a church, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, put our judgment behind and be present and listen to why would something like, like Black Lives Matter start? Because there's a deep hurt, there's a pain that we are ignoring. And it goes for all races and all cultures. I'm just using this as an example. But we are quick to judge before we empathize and we are there for each other. We are brothers and sisters. No matter what race, what culture, what profession, we're building this wall together. Let's have empathy before judgment. Yes, there might be truth that needs to be spoken, but not before you've shown empathy. Not before you've been there for each other. Listen. Sometimes we just need to pause and slow down and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us before we just want to share our opinions and give advice to everyone. If we are playing Christianity in a way that we are just running past intimacy with God and intimacy with people, we are just chasing after idols in the end. And those idols are usually just pointed back to ourselves. It's about my comfort. It's about how good and successful I can look, how good of a Christian I can be. And we tend to ignore these difficult topics, these difficult situations. And we judge all around us and say, that doesn't fit in with, with, with the greater scheme of things, but that needs to be sorted out first through love, through care, being God's disciples by loving one another. Can we hold other people's brokenness in our hands, friends? Can we be a safe place for people with brokenness? Can we hold the brokenness in our hands? without them feeling filthy while we're holding their brokenness in our hands. With love, with care, with respect for one another. That's what Nehemiah did. Will your legacy, again I ask, be a memorial to you or an opportunity for others? Let's be leaders who are powerful and strong but humble. The last point I'm going to pause on, and what I'm, what I'm going to conclude with as well, 
is they were equipped and empowered to leave a legacy. They were equipped and empowered to leave a legacy. So what, what is the legacy first? I just want to touch on that. Our legacy is not defined by how much we can gain. Our legacy is defined by how much life we can give. The gospel. The gospel is our legacy. How much life can we give while we are living so that the people that stay after us will continue to give that life. Point people to Jesus. The everlasting life. As I said previously, all of us are called to be leaders in some sense. Being an example, a light, an ambassador of Jesus in the broken world. So as you are a leader, as you are a humble leader, show life to the people. Point them to the gospel. Point them to the good news that you've received. And to do that, you know, like we said, the one hand was on the weapon. To do that, keeping your one hand on the weapon, be trained into how to use this weapon. Be trained, be equipped and empowered to use this weapon that you've been given. Be trained to share the gospel, to share the love of Jesus. Not just in an evangelism sense, but the way that you live your life, in the things that really is dear to your heart. There's so many pillars and ministry pillars that we have in church. I'm going to speak, speak about it right now. But there's things that some people, that excite some people. Seeing healthy marriages in this city. Like, yes, I, I pray about marriages and I, I want to see people live out the marriages God called them to live out. We see so many um, divorces these days. God created marriage and He created it to work. And if you are getting excited about climbing into, helping to build that part of the wall, making sure that marriages get back to who, what God called marriages to be, then I want you to climb in there and take responsibility of that. There's so many areas that we can get into. But then you're asking me, okay, I want to, I, I get excited. But how do I get equipped and empowered to do that? And I want to first, I want to start off by, just on behalf, me and Mike spoke as well, on behalf of the church leadership, I want to apologize for asking you to do things which we do not equip and empower you to do. We put expectations on you. And it's not easy for you to meet them because we haven't led you through those expectations. And what I'm trying to do here at this last point is I want, to, I want us to make a mind shift as a church. And I know I'm speaking on behalf of the leadership. Is Let's start climbing in, actively getting involved, being equipped and empowered to use these weapons that God has given us. To be able to keep our hand on the weapon and use it in the right manner when, it, when, when it's the time to use it. And the way that we, we're going to do that is being established, equipped, and empowered. And I want to ask you to think of specific people you are discipling, or specific areas in church that excite you. And then I want to ask you, when you think of people, People, maybe some of you are already leading connect groups, or maybe some of you who are in a connect group and you are thinking of other people that you're reaching out to. Give your life to these people, like Nehemiah gave his life to those people. Give your life to these people. 
That when you're gone one day, if they dig deep enough, they will find the ruins of those walls, like we saw in that photo, of the, the, like they found in 2007. That they will find the legacy that you left behind. Give your life to these people. Spend time in prayer, praying for these people, praying for these areas of the church and ministry. Now I want to become a little bit practical now. I want to speak about the pastoral ministry in church. Uncle George is coming down now. He's overseeing and leading the pastoral side of, of, of specifically of our church's ministry, pastoral ministry. And that is, like I said, marriages. It's looking at, we want to see couples who are engaged and who's going to get married. We want to see them start their marriage on a foundation that points to Jesus. We want to see married couples flourish in their marriage. We've got a marriage enrichment course. We've got the premarital courses. We've got the baby dedications. Let's raise up parents that will take their children and raise them on the foundation of Christ. Part of pastoral ministry as well is people that go through difficult times, people that have lost loved ones. Grief counseling. Now, I'm not saying, telling you now all of this to give you good information. I want to tell you, let's take ownership of that. Because as a church, we've been lacking in our pastoral ministry. And that's why when George is here right now. Because he said, we need to pick it up and we need to run with it. And he cannot do it alone. And if this is getting your heart excited, and you call this your church family. You've been with us for a while and you know that this is where God placed you. And you want to help him, George, look after that part of the world, the pastoral ministry. And I want to be bold and I want to ask you to just raise your hand so when George can see who he can work with, who he can work with in the, in the future. Who's got a heart for pastoral ministry? Who's got a heart that, who wants to help in a way just to... And, and I'm not going to tell you now there's a lot of um, responsibilities and things. That comes later. But do you want to get in action with that side of, of, of things, building that side of the wall? That's pastoral ministry. But there's so many areas. Discipleship ministry. That is the growth weekend coming up next week. You know, Barry and Annette have already raised their hands. They are leading the victory training. They have jobs. They're not full-time in ministry, but they've taken responsibility of that. Because that's the side of the wall they want to see built. These people to live in the freedom that Christ has, has died for, for them to live in. If you want to join in there, speak to Barry and Annette. Come speak to us. And you can take responsibility with them in that part. Engaging the lost and evangelism, that's also part of discipleship. You know, standing there on that street this week. With a prayer stop, I was so intimidated. It's not something that comes easy, easy for me. But I just said the morning, as if God, I just want to be available to you this morning. I just want to be available for you to use me. I don't know how it's going to look like, but here I am. And wow, how my faith was has grown and stirred in those people that stopped by. So what I what I want to say with this is. Let's, let's get part of it. Let's climb in. Let's be the church. As we really consider, as we really pray and hope, 
to leave a legacy that goes beyond us, that goes beyond just being a church that is comfortable, seeing a big church, seeing a church grow in front of us, that will leave a legacy that points to Jesus. And we will see men and women with a hand on a weapon and the other hand doing the work of God. Let's get trained. Let's get familiar with the weapons we've been given. Let's get familiar with this powerful gospel, with this great almighty God that we serve. So we can move forward, rebuild the walls, so the lost can be found, so the hopeless can find hope, so that they also can proceed with one hand on the gospel and the other hand on the work God called them to do.